Blog Talk Radio. Well, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so blessed to produce this. It's the Standing Above the Crowd podcast hosted by my good friend, brother, mentor, James Donaldson. Here's truly Mark Mancini producing it. 347-205-9631. You can catch the archive version on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Mancini Sports podcast platforms wherever you subscribe to powered now by mancini media so as i lay the red carpet down i put the podium in its place hand off the mic first of all james how are you second of all how can people get a hold of you third of all on the second show you bring through another great legend to compensate Mm -hmm. lenny wilkins last week my friend yeah thank you so much mark uh, hey, I'm doing just great up here in Seattle, Washington, and things are going really well. Uh, people can contact me at jamesd at standingabovethecrowd.com. Uh, direct email, write to me, and I receive all that, reply right back to you. So please uh, touch base. Let me know some of your thoughts about the show and about possible upcoming guests. We'll reach out to them and get them going as well. And, you know, this show is all about trying to be on the positive side of sports and life and uplifting, inspiring stories and, and people that we're bringing on board. Uh, our guest today is, is really one of my all-time favorite people, uh, a great coach, a great mentor, and a great friend for the last several, several years and over the last 40 years, actually, back to my high school days, uh, my old coach at Washington State University, Coach George Raveling. And so uh, I want to talk to George today about his experiences at Washington State University. I know he went off and coached over at the University of Iowa and USC as well, but us in Cougar Nation, Cougar Nation, we want to know about Washington State. So, uh, George, uh, as we get into the interview, would love for you to kind of recap some of your uh, experiences in Pullman, Washington, Washington State. Uh, George coached me back in 1975 to 1979, and it was really probably the most instrumental, uh, formative four years of my life. Uh, Growing up from being a boy to a young man, and I took a lot of those great lessons that George taught me back then and continued to live those things out throughout my life now. So without any further ado, I want to introduce uh, Coach George Raveling. George, why don't you tell Cougar Nation where you're living now, what you're doing now, and then recap some of your coaching experiences, especially with Washington State University. Uh, James, I'm I'm, I'm the luckiest 84-year-old on planet Earth. To, to still be alive and to be able to witness so many of the historic things that that are, uh, are making our society more challenging and richer. Um, I, li- I live in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I have a three or four consultant businesses that I that I run, and so at 84 years old, I'm trying to. To, to figure out how to stay relevant in an ever-changing world. And so I spend most of, of my time reading and writing and, and sharing. Um, that's today. Yesterday was, was, for me as a coach, certainly was 
Washington State. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, uh, one of the things when I want to get a smile on someone's face and they ask me about coaching at Washington State, I said, well, I took the job in 1972 for $24,500. You couldn't get a grant mm-hmm. assistant. You might have a manager for that now. But the, the, the interesting thing uh, uh, um, about uh, being a, a being a, a cougar is the marriage has never ended. I mean, we're, we're mm-hmm. still married to, to each other today. I, I look yeah. back on on that experience, and Washington State took a huge risk when they hired me. And you say, well, mm-hmm. why do you say that? Well, be, number one. I had never been a head coach before in my life, and 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 they they took a risk on me, and and gave me a, an opportunity. One reason I think it was uh, it, it, it worked out was one the expectations were low. I had huge uh, su- uh, support from the from the president, the AD the fans, the boosters, uh, the students especially. And, 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 and they, they were patient, which is something very few uh, uh, programs have today. Everybody, we're in this uh, instant society, you know. Yeah. But they, they were patient with me. And, and, and there were the opportunities uh, – to achieve success were, were numerous there. And uh, it, it was the best 11 years of my life. James, yeah. I've said this to some people, and they, they found it astounding in this day yeah. where we talk so much about race. Never yeah. once in 11 years did I ever have a, a confrontation with anybody over race or someone called me the N-word or, or anything like that. Not one time in 11 years. And to me, that that that's, t- talks to the depth and dimension of the relationship that they saw me as a human being. Not, mm. not uh, wasn't based on that. Um, but it, it's a fact. I, I, if, if someone said, I'll give you a million dollars – Give me an example of a, of a racist act that happened when you were at Washington State. I I, I couldn't give you one. It was a, wow. one of the most fruitful, beautiful marriages of uh, of ever. And the best yeah. part about it is the longevity that we to this day. You know, I know it upsets people at Iowa. And you, I see when I say this, but I don't mean it in a negative way. But people will say, ask me, of all the places you coach, what, what did you find the most rewarding? And I, I have to tell the truth, and I say uh, Washington State. I know some uh, uh, people at Iowa and USC don't like that, but I, but uh, yeah. uh, truth is something that people say they want, but they can't deal with it. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Wow. Well, let me say, and thank you so much for that testament uh, about Washington State. Uh, my marriage with, with WSU, Washington State, is still as strong as ever. Uh, they've always treated me with respect, and they welcome me back to the campus at any time. Uh, so I'm I'm right there with you, Coach. Um, you know, uh, now, 
before you got to Washington State, weren't you an assistant coach uh, back on the East Coast somewhere, if I can recall? Is that right? Yeah, I was, I was assistant coach for Lefty Gazelle at Maryland. He had, <clears throat> uh, when he took the Davis, uh, left Davison to take the Maryland job, one night he called me and he said, George, I, uh, I, I've got the Maryland job. If I take it, would you come and be my assistant? I was an assistant wow. at Villanova at the time where I went to school. And uh, and I said yes, and so I stayed there four years. Uh, and uh, honestly, James, I could I I could have stayed there for the rest of my career, and I'd have been very happy. One of the the peculiar misgivings that I in my in my coaching career was I never dreamed of being a head coach, and so I mm. never prepared myself to be a head coach. And so in those first two or three years at Washington State, it was like on-the-job training. And I and what I did was try to mirror a lot of things I learned from the great Jack Kraft, who was the head coach at Villanova, and, and also uh, from Lefty Giselle. And, and, uh, and that's why I say that the school took a huge risk, and, and they were so patient. One thing mm. I remember – I was walking out of Dr. Terrell's office after the, uh, I accepted the job. I'd met with Dr. Terrell for a surprising 45 minutes. I, in those days, I felt and it was the president's got more things to do than talk to me. And so when I was walking out the door, Dr. Terrell said to me, he said, Coach Robin, I want you to remember this. He says, and, um, I'll always be there when you're, when you're losing. I'll never be there when you're winning. And that, and mm. after eleven years, he was always there, and he was like the that's rock great. Yeah, that's the great support that they offered you, and uh, what a wonderful way to start your coaching career. You know, coach, you are so beloved still with Cougar Nation. Not a week goes by that people don't ask me about George Raffling. Where where is he at? What's he doing nowadays? How's he doing? And that is just a, a great legacy that you've left behind, all the great relationships and the and the goodwill. The people feel so good about you and what you've done for WSU and continue to do for so many people out there. I want to get into uh, this uh, February is our African-American Heritage Month. And I know you played a role back in the civil rights days, back in the 60s and all that. Uh, matter of fact, you are the the proud and only owner of the original transcript, the original manuscript of Dr. Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech. Uh, you were there on the podium with him, um, or on the stage with him when he gave that great speech. Can you give us a little bit of background about that, and also how far have we come with civil rights, and how much further do you think we have to go? Well, the first part was one of the consistent elements in my life that's been the uh, absolute opportunity to be in the right place at the right time. And that's so so much of, of, of my life has, has been a result of that. And so I, I had a very, very close friend who lived in in Claymont, Delaware, which is right on the border of Pennsylvania and Delaware in a suburb of Wilmington. And I was having dinner at his house on uh, on Thursday evening, and his dad was a, a, a very prominent 
Dennis in, in, in Wilmington, his dad was probably one of the most prominent black um, people in the state of Delaware at the time. And so in those days, uh, unlike today, the evening dinner, the family sat around the table and they talked. And in the background, he had a television set on was and and they were uh, uh, talking about the forthcoming march on Washington. And that prompted Dr. Uh, Wilson, his name was Dr. Woodrow Wilson. He uh, he said uh, to uh, my friend's name was Warren. He said two of us, "Are you guys going down to the march on Washington?" And we said, "Well, no." We and he said, "Why not?" And we gave him some adolescent excuse. We didn't have any money, didn't a way to get down there. <laughs> so, so he they had two cars. So he said, "Well, look, here's the deal. I can give you guys a hundred bucks a piece, and and and." Uh, a hundred bucks at that time was 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 a decent amount of money, and and the, and the car you guys uh, you guys need to be down there. He had a premonition that this thing was going to be his story, and so mm. we get down there Friday night, and we get, find a, a a place to stay, and we decide to drive down to the monument grounds to see what it was going to be like and what's the best way to get there, and we are walking around and. I'm six four, Warren six four, and a guy. We run into this gentleman, and he and 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 uh, and, and said hello to him, and he said, "Hey, are, are you guys coming tomorrow?" And we said, "Yeah," and he said, "You would you want to be a volunteer?" And we said, "For what?" He said, "The security. We uh, we're going to need triple the security that we 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 uh, plan for because uh, the." This is going to be maybe the, the largest gathering of black people in one place in 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 history, and so we mm. said, yeah, we'll we'll uh, volunteer. So we got down there early the next morning. He looked at us six four. He said, okay, you guys are going to be up on the podium, uh, and you you'll, you'll uh, so that they had a separate security uh, uh, group for for the podium and the dignitaries there, and so. That was how I ended up in that strategic position, and part of the plan was when he, when Dr. King was, got to the closing remarks, we were to start to, to this little V shape around him, and he and and, and the people on the dais were going to exit out the back of the Lincoln Memorial. There was buses out there to take them away, and so as Dr. King finishes as you there's some documentaries on it you can see him folding the speech and mm-hmm. and hand and i to him I, I don't know why i wish i could come up with an exotic story and i had to had a plan but i didn't i, I just said uh, dr king can i have that copy and he wow. and, and he hands and so wow. and <laughs> And then, of course, you know, we we were in motion now, trying to get the people off the podium to a safe spot. And 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 little did I know at that moment that the speech was going to take on the historic significance that it did. I mean, uh, uh, USA Today a couple of years ago did a survey on the greatest speeches of all time, and they came up with three: Kennedy's inaugural address. Winston Churchill's uh, a speech to the British people during the war, and I have yeah. a dream. And so wow. uh, I had it for for easily 40 years, and no one even knew I had it. And I kept mm. it. When 
when I was a senior at Villanova, I got picked to play in the East-West All-Star Game in Kansas City, and that was the biggest college uh, All-Star Game in the country. Attendance, Missouri, to meet President Truman, and he gave each of the players on the teams uh, uh, two copies of his his his, bog, his that covered his 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 history as a president, and he signed right. them. And if and I still have them. So if you open the cover, it says to George A. Traveling, it's got the date uh, of President Harry Truman. And and so mm. I put the speech inside of that because, one, I would always know where it was, and I wouldn't throw it away because how many people can say they have two autographed copies of a book from the President of the United States personally autographed <laughs> to you? And so yeah. it stayed in for over 40 years. And, and Malcolm X... James one time said, history is best situated to reward all man's deeds. And what I think he meant is ultimately uh, history and historians will put things in their rightful perspective. So it took 50 years for that speech uh, and historians to put the speech in its proper historic context. Yeah, yeah, that's right. um, No, I've heard part Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say now. Now I've heard that you've uh, lent it out or donated to a museum to be shown in public at this point, or where is it at currently? Well, it, it really is is now the property of Villanova University, my alma mater, and 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 the, and the agreement was that it would be it would be on display at the African American Museum, uh, and so. Basically, it's it, for the next seven years. It will be uh, uh, at least the next seven years. It will be on uh, or located at the African American Museum in Washington D.C. They recently had it on display and so forth. But mm. legally, it is property of Villanova. Wonderful! Wow. You talk about right place, right time. I mean, that is so fortunate, and uh, what a what a great story. Uh, I've got one basketball question about college sports, and then we've got a, a whole slew of questions coming in. Uh, I want to talk to you about when you think about this licensing agreement uh, for college athletes now to monetize their likeness and their image. Uh, personally, I think it's a slippery slope, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh I, I I really feel that it could all of this could have been avoided years ago if the NC2A had done a simple thing if they had a, had made it uh, uh, a function of the scholarship that you also got a hundred dollar stipend and and, and and when when I went to Villanova. I went there 56 to 60 and I was on scholarship and, 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 uh, and we got $20 a month stipend. So okay. It's not, it's not part of the problem was that the, the word choice was bad about paying the players. Uh, what hmm. we should have just said is that we're going to, we're going to, uh, uh, give the players a stipend to help, deal with the added expense of uh, 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 that a student incurs in college. If, if, mm-hmm. if the NC2A had gone with the stipend, there would have never been 
any any. Uh, uh, I truly believe NIL would have never uh, came in as a concept. Now we're we're stuck with a, with a system that's going to create far more problems than it's going to solve. Yeah. NIL yeah. will solve one or two problems, but it's going to create about a hundred others. And I think we send a bad message to to our student athletes. We, we, it, it, the, the message is money's more important than education, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and, and 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 young people now are making their decision on what school to attend primarily on how much money. And, and I said this on a podcast with Tim Ferriss a, a year or two ago. The the new language of America is green. It's not mm-hmm. English. It's green. Yeah. Money is, is and that I worry about the values that we're we're implanting in our young people. I do too. And and the other message I think it sends out to our young people is that individualism is is more valuable and important than teamwork. And when you're on a sports team like basketball, football, baseball, and all the rest of them, you are a teammate, a team member, and you have to be able to get along with all those guys and all those gals and. If you don't, I mean, if you're making all this money and you've got an offensive line in front of you protecting you and they're not getting anything, uh, it's going to breed resentment. It's going to breed some uh, animosity, some envy, and it's just, it just doesn't look good. So I don't know how it's going to play out, but we, we will see. Uh, let me get to one of our questions here that's coming in. Uh, people are taking us back to uh, University of Maryland and the great uh, – uh, now, you know, departed Lynn Bias. How great of a player do you think Lynn Bias would have been in the NBA? I think he would he, he would have been uh, uh, an extraordinary player. I, I was not there. I was now at Washington State when Bias came. But I did see him play. And to, if he were coming out of high school right now, the U.S. Uh, Treasury would have to print more money because <laughs> what he what he could what they would pay him would oh it, it, and he, if you really got to know him he was he was a, 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 a humble person a very yeah. coachable he made some mistakes like we all do in judgment but and and it's a shame because he when they talk about the top all-time players in the history of the NBA, I believe potentially he 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 had an opportunity to earn that if he if he had to live, he, we we would yeah. be talking about him as one of the all-time greats. Yeah, I believe so too. I watched him in college, and unfortunately, you know, after getting drafted by the Celtics, he wasn't able to partake in the NBA professional game, but uh, yeah, you can just hope and think about the potential that he had and the greatness that he would have, uh, would have developed at the NBA level. Uh, Another question coming in is uh, we're getting a lot of fan involvement, fan altercations with players, uh, fans throwing things at the players, spitting at the players, cursing out the players. And of course the players from time to time react back to that. This is the atmosphere we live in nowadays. I guess it's always kind of been a part of sports, but now you see it escalated at a level I've never seen before. Uh, what can we do to put these pieces back in place that there's mutual respect on both sides? 
Well, interesting that you bring that up because the headline on this page in L.A. this morning is one of the the, the uh, UCLA players spit at a as, uh, uh, at a fan uh, who who evidently yeah. uh, uh, made some un, uh, inappropriate remarks to him coming off the court. <laughs> From a coaching standpoint, I think now you have to start to teach your players how to deal in 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 in, in the supreme cir- circumstances like that. Uh, I think also we need to start to educate the fans about what their responsibilities are and and, mm. and, and, and the importance of being respectful. I think athletic events have become such a, uh, 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 an emotional uh, enterprise, you know, from the, before the game, uh, the, the Texas Tech uh, Texas game the other night. The guy had to have police protection. They put a picture yeah. of the coach's uh, 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 face on the entrance coming in so the fans could step on it. Well, first of all, I, that shows irresponsibility of leadership at the university. And, and so as leaders, we have a responsibility to try to educate people about, be, yeah. about behavior at, at sporting events. Yes, I agree. I mean, it takes me back to my days playing over in the European League where fans really got into altercations with each other in the stands, but also the players and the referees after the game many times. So we don't want to devolve into something like that here in the States, and I think we can do better. Uh, another question that came in, uh, a, a an old WSU friend of mine who was around back in the day when you were coaching Steve Padakis. Uh, Steve was our first, I guess, big major star basketball player that you coached at WSU. Tell us a little bit about Steve. And I remember Steve taking me under his wing. I was two years younger than him as a freshman and sophomore and showing me the ropes. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Steve Padakis. Steve Padakis was our first step in, in, in our growth strategy, uh, it, 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 six ten. At that time, uh, it was uh, big men were primarily back to the basket players. He was mm-hmm. one of the first big men I ever saw in recruiting who could. Well, today he had a phenomenal amount of points because of, of his, the, the, the range on his shot. But he could shoot that that jump shot like pure gold. And yes, I uh, I recruited him. He, he went to St. Lawrence High School in, in Chicago, and at the end, it it, it got down to uh, Tennessee, Notre Dame, and Washington State. And so obviously, you can you can figure at that time who was at the low end of the totem pole, but. <laughs> I re- in my in my years recruiting, I I always spent a lot of time trying to recruit the moms, and mm-hmm. so uh, I I really spent an inordinate amount of time in and talking to her, trying to win her trust and so forth, and so um, they had the Chicago uh, Public League Catholic League All Star Game. And and uh, Steve didn't play good in the game, 
and and, mm. and Digger Fox was the coach at Notre Dame, and he 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 kind of started to back off on him because he didn't play good in that All Star game, and that gave us a a realistic chance because they were from a staunch Catholic family, and, and I just couldn't see him not going to Notre Dame. So anyway, um, I I kept recruiting him, and one night I said to his mom, um, I said, ah. Steve's going to end up going to Notre Dame. And so she says, oh, you think you know everything, huh? <laughs> and I <laughs> said, no, not really. She said, well, I'm going to tell you something that you don't know about a Stevie. She always called him Stevie. She said, yeah. Steve doesn't like to see his mother cry. And if he doesn't oh. go to Washington State, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and so basically – Recruiting his mom ended up getting us one of the greatest players. But let me yes. tell you something. Steve was 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 uh, uh, just a great human being, a smart young man. Uh, yeah. We had we had. I mean, we had as close a relationship as I have with my son. And I feel wow. that he was the he was the the most important building block uh, to get that Washington State program going. And then we were yeah. able to continue to build from there. But I, I he love sure that guy. Uh, um, he died. He ended up uh, dying of a heart attack uh, over in uh, Italy. But uh, yeah, man, it, what a loss! What a loss! I I remember Steve very well. Yeah, Coach. We have less than thirty seconds to wrap up, but I just want to say thank you so much for being part of our show, Nate Smith, basketball Hall of Famer. I follow your Facebook feeds, uh, all the positivity you put out there day after day. So wonderful. I want to say thank you so much, Coach, and all the best uh, forward to you as you keep on moving forward and doing great things out there. And, James, I want to say thank you for trusting me with your, with your basketball career, and, I, and, and, and thank you for all you've done to help, help make Washington State and myself a better. better. Thank you. You're so welcome. All right. Hey, that's a wrap for today. This is James Donaldson standing above the crowd.